My subject this morning is Christmas is about hope. We've been looking and having some fun over the past few weeks at different characters in the 1965 production of A Charlie Brown Christmas. But today, of all the different characters we've looked at and the way in which they can represent the different aspects of people within our own culture, and even if we're honest, different aspects of who we are or have been. I want to focus on one today, and that's the star character, Charlie Brown. Now, I don't want to focus on how things turned out for him, because at the end of the show, as the credits roll, everybody is happy and singing, um, albeit a little off-key, um, but they're all smiling and having a great time. So things turn out well, but for the most part throughout the entire production, he's not happy. He seems to continually voice and project this sense of disconnect when it comes to Christmas. He expresses to many of the different characters, to Linus and to Lucy, this discomfort with the whole basic idea of Christmas. He's, in essence, communicates a sense of depression. And this sense of depression, since this has happened year after year, he's come to expect it, he says at one point early in the show, that every single time the year comes around, it, he just doesn't understand and can't relate to how he feels with what's going on around him. All of us know people like this. In fact, if we're honest, we've all been people like this at one time or another. My goal today is I really want to be sensitive to the things that people go through, to the things that people are struggling with, with the hope that we see in Christmas a, a renewed opportunity for this thing called hope, and highlighting that that's one of the things Jesus came to give. Yes, he came to bring peace, he came to bring joy, he also came to bring hope. So turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 11, and I'll begin reading in verse number 31. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. In verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Obviously, the context of the story is that Jesus and his disciples are at a distance away and they get word from Mary and Martha that their brother Lazarus is ill and close to death and they're asking Jesus to come and heal him. And he intentionally delays and tells his disciples basically because I have other plans about how to glorify God. When he gets in the vicinity of where Mary and Martha is, Lazarus has already died. Mary comes out to greet him first and basically says, Jesus, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And then when he gets closer to the home 
where the family is and greets Martha, she basically says the same thing. If you had been here, our brother would not have died. What in the world does this story have to do with Christmas? The story itself? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's just a regular, basic human story about two people who have lost their brother. Many of us experience difficult and challenging times all through the year. Many of us go through struggles that just seem to grip our hearts and put us in a very challenging and dark place. Many experience traumatic events, times of loss, and times of pain. Many experience difficult situations because of job things that, that happen or troubled family relationships. And the last thing any of these situations seem to need is Christmas. Many experience an emptiness because someone is not there. Many experience a feeling of failure because there are people around them, but they are also surrounded by broken relationships. Many experience a, uh, a sense of failure because of a job loss or a loss of income or a reduction of income, and things can't be as they have been in the past, unable to keep up. And all that can be seen, and all that can be focused, and all that can be embraced right in front of us, and it just seems as we go through that each and every day, when it comes to the month of December, and how we perceive Christmas, all of these things get amplified. But Jesus' birth was announced to the shepherds with a promise. In Luke chapter 2, nope, don't want to get to that yet. Where if you remember we've been reading, the angel said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Jesus comes to us in whatever situation we're in to bring us good tidings. And what's important to me about that verse in Luke chapter 2 verse 10 is that he doesn't just say, I'm going to bring you good tidings of great joy for those who are ready for it. He doesn't say, I'm going to bring you good tidings of great joy to those who are in the right spirit, in the right frame of mind, in the right mood. He says, I'm going to bring good tidings of great joy to all people. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, when Jesus walks into your life, his intention is to bring you good things. Jesus brought great joy and hope to all people, all people, no matter where they happen to be in life at that moment. So many people at this time of year deal with hurt. They deal with anger, angry at those around them. And if we're honest, they're also dealing with a lot of anger toward God. Mary and Martha were in that category. Those phrases that are in John chapter 11, where they each greet Jesus, basically saying, if you had been here, they're basically saying, God, where were you? Why weren't you here when we needed you? How could you let this happen? And when so many of us, and let's be honest today, when so many of us go through these situations, we all kind of feel the same thing. God, where were you? Well, first, let me be clear. He was right there next to you. He's always next to you. Now, we could hope that our situations, when we go through them, turn out the way the story of Lazarus did, because it has a happy ending. 
he was raised from the dead. But let me remind you, he was raised from the dead. And although the scripture doesn't say this specifically, I am overwhelmingly confident he died again. He didn't stay alive. So whatever uh, Mary and Martha experienced at his passing in this situation, they had to experience again. But most of our stories are left with questions. Most of our stories are left with questions that seem and feel unanswered. And anger can arise. And maybe it's my personality, which as you've known me over the years, you've come to realize is unique. I've been called many things. And probably the most puzzling of things, I've been called unique. I used to think when someone said, you're one of a kind, it was a compliment. Not so sure anymore. I'm not so sure if they're saying, you're one of a kind, and then under their breath they're saying, thank you, Jesus. But I don't have a problem with people being angry at me. That's probably why I survived 15 years of officiating sports. Now, I try my best not to inspire it, I try my best not to instigate it, but I don't have a problem with someone coming to me when they're angry and allowing us to, the, to be able to move past it. If you are angry at me, I encourage you to talk to me. I beg you, please do it respectfully. Please lower your voice. There's certain language, and you can talk to a couple of coaches I won't listen to. But the best way to work things out when we're angry with one another is to talk with one another. And the same thing is true with God. When we have those feelings and we have those questions and we're not sure what's going on, the best place to be is in his presence. The best place to be is to go to him, not try and walk away from him, even if walking away from him were possible. David made that clear. Where can I go from your presence? just seems strange to me. Pain and difficulty is something everyone deals with. Yet it just seems that we as people, and especially we as Christians, have a problem dealing with or being in these situations. We all hurt. We all know pain. Especially in the church, we should be there. We have the power of the Almighty God. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside us. And yet, when someone is hurting, it seems we're in a rush to move them past these places of pain rather than walk with them through it step by step. We want to get past this place of pain, this place of hurt, this place of grief as quickly as possible. I've never understood how someone can turn to a person who's had a heavy loss in their life as soon as a month or two and they're still grieving and someone have the nerve to say you're still worried about that you're still dealing with that I can tell you right now my mother died 35 years ago and at times it still grips my heart so it's something that we deal with and it's something that we as Christians have been given the power to walk through day by day rather than try and rush people through it because he has given us hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ. And as believers, we can transfer and relate that hope to other people. 
But no, what we want to try and do so often when we get to people who are in need of hope is just fix it. We want to move past, we would rather avoid the pain, especially the pain of other people, than rather walk with them. We'd rather pretend that we have no pain ourselves rather than let Jesus walk us through the pain every day. And you're going to say, but pastor, pain is not pleasant. Well, first of all, it's kind of implied in the name. Pain. Of course it's not pleasant. But he came to give us this hope. There is nothing you can express. And hear me on this. There is nothing you can express to God that will make him feel uncomfortable. I assure you, there are things you can tell me that will make me feel very uncomfortable. He is not looking for just a happy place to hang out. Jesus wants a very real, a very honest, a very raw relationship with the people he has come to save. We all have experienced difficult things. We all have experienced trauma in our lives. We all have been the cause of those things in other people's lives. Pretending those things didn't happen, there's a word the Bible has for that. It's called lying. Nothing's wrong with me. When it's clear something is, well, I'm being strong. No, you're lying. These things in our lives need to be dealt with, not just wished away. I'm not sure why it's been true this year, unlike others. Some of it's an occupational hazard or an occupational requirement being a minister. But it just seems in 2023, I have been called upon to officiate at more funerals this year than I have in a long time. Now, I will be clear about every single funeral I've officiated at. I wish not one of them happened. I wish in every single case, the person had been healed, the person had avoided the accident, the person hadn't had the issue that brought them to this place, and that they were here today worshiping with us on Christmas. That's my wish. But that's not how life is. Not even for God's people. He promised, as we're seeing today, that it would rain. It would rain on just people, and it would rain on unjust people. And let's be honest, we are probably in both categories at different times. But that's how life is. Truth is, when I get those calls, what stirs up within me, and I guess this is part of the call upon my life, is that there's no place I'd rather be. Now, I would love for you to invite me to a party. I like parties. Mainly because parties usually have great food. Didn't we have a great time at our Christmas party? Now, the fellowship was great. Yeah, let, let, let's be, give praise, God praise for that. Now, the fellowship was great. It was nice to be out with friends. But let's bottom line it right now. Wasn't that great food? Yes. It was great food. If we had sat at the same table, the same setting, the same people, and they had served us tacos from Taco Bell, it would not have been the same situation. First of all, you all would have 
questioned me about a $20 bill to pay for tacos. We would all rather be invited to a wedding, and having officiated two weddings this year, one for my son, they're a whole lot more fun to be a part of. Most of us would much rather be invited out to dinner to someplace special, especially at this time of year. But how special, I want us to kind of look inside and maybe have God change our thinking today. How special is it when people invite us to be with them in their times of grief, in their times of sorrow, in their times of pain? To help them walk through these situations that we can then help them realize the truth that with Jesus you are never alone. What an awesome privilege it is when someone asks you to join them in their weeping. And again, Jesus wept, verse 35 says. Yep, that's what it says. Jesus wept. Now there are many interpretations throughout the world of biblical exegesis and all that stuff as to why he wept. And we can debate them. Some because he was surrounded by people who weren't basically of belief. Some for this reason or that. What's clear is that John chapter 11 isn't saying specifically why he wept. It may have been that he was overwhelmed by the grief of Mary and Martha. One thing is true, the Greek word there for, for uh, wept is not just shed a small tear. It means he wept tears of great sorrow. This was not just a passing emotion, and he wasn't annoyed. He could have been angry with the disbelief that surrounded him. He could have been angry with the wailers who were there, the, the uh, story says earlier, that were basically in that custom, professional wailers, who would come and make sure there was somebody to cry at your funeral. The whole concept just is strange to me. He could have been hurt at the death and the reality of death in the world that we live in. But the bottom line, even though he knew what he was about to do, even though he knew he had done things and planned things and put the timeline in place where he knew he was going to raise, um, raise Lazarus from the dead, he still, in the moment, he wept. Jesus understands what we feel. Aren't you glad for that? Jesus understands what we feel. And Jesus welcomes our questions that express a lack of understanding. I believe I've shared this. I'll never forget the night my mother died. I was 27 years old. You can do the math. And my son Andrew had not been born yet. He would be born six weeks later. And it was a traumatic experience, her, her being in the car accident she was in. And we were all still convinced she was going to make it, although she was going to be limited because the accident had left her quadriplegic. And, but we believed God was going to do something special. And I got to the hospital on a Friday night to seeing my dad and my younger brother Mark standing outside her room with this look on the face that said something was wrong. And there was a lot of activity in her room and they came and told us about 20 minutes later that she was gone. 
And so I called all of my family that was in the Bronx on my mom's side, and they began to rush out to where she was in, Stony Brook Hospital. And I went downstairs to greet them, because this was in June. And I remember going down the elevator. Now, I believe that God communicates with his people. But I can honestly say, I don't have an experience where I can honestly uh, share that I've heard his voice audibly, like you're hearing mine. God has made his will clear to me in so many ways, but not in that way. Yet, if ever there was a moment where I could say I heard something, it would be in that elevator. As I'm going down the elevator, kind of groaning over my mind what the next few hours and days were going to be like. I just looked up at the top of the elevator and said, God, I can't do this. And I heard something. And all I heard God say was, I disagree. And I later thought, couldn't you come up with a better line than that? And he reminded me that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And that includes even going through tough times. And obviously, since that was 35 years ago, he was right. I did get through it. Jesus wept deep sorrow. Even though he knew what he was going to do, I believe partly he was moved by what Mary and Martha were feeling. Jesus embraces us when we can't figure life out. And there are so many people in our circles of influence, in our culture today, that especially at this time of year, who need hope. They need hope every day of the year. They need hope every month of the year. But they especially need it today, in this time. In times where it just seems all that they feel every other time of the year is now being amplified. For many, this Christmas will be very different for so many than Christmas was last year. And that doesn't just mean because of a loss. It could be because of an illness. It could be because of a whole number of things. It will be different. But one of the things that we can feel When you hold a newborn baby, it's really hard not to smile. You feel the baby in your arms, and especially if that baby smiles at you, it, it just melts your heart. Because we are filled with hope. Hope about the moment, hope about tomorrow. And God talks to us about hope. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, I'm sure many of you have a coffee mug or a t-shirt or a plaque at home that has this verse. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Now, before you start claiming verse 11, please read the first 10 verses of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. Because before the prophet says this, and being the vessel and voice of God to the people of Israel, 
That whole chapter is God telling the people of Israel, hey, look, you're going to be going into captivity. You're going to be under the direction and basically slavery of another nation. You're going to be taken captive. You're going to go into a period of exile. And he lets them know in those 10 verses, life will not be easy. He lets them know in those 10 verses, life will be very different than the life you could have had if you had served me faithfully. He lets them know in those first 10 verses of Jeremiah 29 that life is going to be rough. And, and I'm not sure I would have wanted to have known this, he lets them know that rough life is going to be, it's going to last 70 years. I would rather not know that. I would rather hope that maybe tomorrow will be a different day. He lets them know on day one, it's going to last 70 years. But then he says to anchor them, but rest assured, I've got plans for you. Plans of peace. Plans of a hope that provides a future. But how do we get this hope? How do we move into this place of hope. How can we help others find the hope, not only at Christmas time, but at every time of the year? Well, fortunately, we have it in the next two verses, which I don't have on the screen. Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen, and you will seek me and find me when you search me with your whole heart. You will call upon me, you will seek me, and you will search for me. The best place to be when you are having a difficult time with the way in which life is progressing is to find your way to the foot of Jesus. The best place for any of us when we're having an issue with hopelessness is to come to the man who provides hope, and his name is Jesus. The best place to be when we can't see him anywhere is to search for him in his word, with his people, to come to his altar and let Jesus know, I need the hope that you promised on the day you were born. Then we will experience one of the greatest and most untapped powers of Christmas. The hope that can help people do what can be the most difficult to do when they're in a place like this. And that's look forward. Look to tomorrow. And not only look to it, because many do look to tomorrow or look to the future, and it makes them even feel more hopeless. But we can look to the future and hope and have a better, better tomorrow with him. You know, there's a tradition that many churches have um, I've never been a part of it in any uh, church I've ever been a part of. And they have it every year. And I, I've been talking to pastors and other people and other churches who organized this type of church service. It's called a Blue Christmas church service. And no, they don't play an Elvis song when you go to the service. <laughs> that would probably be kind of cool. And it's basically a church service for those who are dealing with grief or loss. And for them, Christmas is not red and green. It's blue. It's about the loss. And 
I've been trying to dig deeper into understanding the purpose and the goals of this type of service, and it's really impressed me that they're not just gathering people together to try and pep them up. They're not just gathering people together to try and help them ignore what they're going through and give them even an escape from what they're feeling deep inside. It's to just let them sit and be okay where they are and process things. And I just think it's such a wonderful thing. Because when it comes to wherever we are on any given day, Jesus is, is, is ready and willing to walk with us. He was ready and willing to be with Mary and Martha. Before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he wept with them. He let them know he shared their grief. Now, if the Son of God can do that, then we as believers... We, as those who claim we want to be just like him, we should be able to do that as well, especially at Christmas time. Every message in this series, I've ended with, I've tried to lead it toward the phrase that Linus says to Charlie Brown at the end of his, his monologue on stage by saying that's what Christmas is all about. For many this year, Christmas is all about pain. It's all about reminders. That's what I'm praying. God, use me to let them know that Christmas can be all about hope. It can be all about hope in Jesus Christ. Stand with me, please.